1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 396.
0: you want somebody to pick up your book when you're an unknown name you need to go what's the outcome of them learning your particular style and approach
1: writing a book can be one of the smartest moves for your business success but you need more than writing skills to create an impressive book that readers will love you also need a plan to market, sell, and leverage your book into a new level of leadership within your industry to reach your professional goals. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. I created the Read to Lead podcast to not only help you narrow your reading list, but bring you the key insights and main ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors on that reading list. Today, our guest author is Julie Broad. She's the founder of a company called Book Launchers. I first met Julie several years ago at a podcast conference. And promised to follow up with her to see if any of her authors, any people she'd helped launch books, might be a good fit for the podcast. I never followed up with her, but I ran into her again, fortunately, at that same conference very recently. And I thought, well, who better to start with than the owner of the company, who's also an author? Julie's latest book is called Self-Publish and Succeed, the No Boring Books Way to Write a Nonfiction Book That Sells. I'm going to ask Julie to share why traditional book deals worth signing are rare, in her opinion, what having a hook for your book can do for you and how to know yours is effective, why starting with your book's content is actually backwards and a lot more. You know what else is backwards? Paying too much money for your generic medications. Not only that, why are you still driving to the pharmacy to pick them up when they could be delivered right to your door? If you're thinking, wait, I can do that? Well, I've got some good news for you. Our sponsor for this episode, Scriptco, is the first online pharmacy that puts the power of wholesale medicine and home delivery into your hands. Instead of letting insurance companies decide how much you're going to pay, pull Scriptco into the equation because they cut out the middleman and give you all the power. First, they shop around for the absolute lowest price anywhere on the medicine you need without the insurance price hike. Then they send the best deal to your door. With a Scriptco membership, you save big with access to wholesale prices on your generic medications. Now, to see how much you could be saving, check out their free savings calculator at scriptco.com. That's S-C-R-I-P-T-C-O dot com. And because you're a listener to Read to Lead, you can save even more. Get $25 off your initial membership with the code READ. Twenty-five. That's R-E-A-D-25. Use that code toward your membership again at scriptco.com, S-C-R-I-P-T-C-O.com, and check out their free savings calculator. Julie Broad is an Amazon overall number one best-selling author and international book award winner and recipient of the Beverly Hills Book Award for best sales book. As an entrepreneur and successful real estate investor, she was also awarded the Top 20 Under 40 Award. As I mentioned, she's founder of Book Launchers, a company she started to help busy entrepreneurs and professionals build their brand and boost their business by writing, publishing, and selling a top-quality book. In 2017, she also became a new mom and moved from Vancouver Island, Canada, to Los Angeles, California. Her newest book is called Self Publish and Succeed, the No Boring Books Way to Write a Nonfiction Book That Sells. Her name is Julie Raw. Julie, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's great to be here.
1: I loved reading uh, that you, you 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 earned the name over time of of Julie the book broad. <laughs> Which I, don't, I don't know if I'm inflecting it right or the way you prefer, but that's how I like to inflect
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I say it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one of your first bold uh, statements in the book, and there are many uh, in in my opinion, is that book deals worth signing are extremely rare. As someone who has recently done that, I'd be curious to know, uh, what are the factors that that bring you to that conclusion?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think traditional publishers don't bring that much to the table anymore. And so in order for it to be worth it for you, I think they have to be bringing something pretty great to the table, like a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> probably yeah. is what it is. Because having gone through the self-publishing process, You know, the big advantage of a traditional deal is they're upfronting the costs of producing the book. Mm -hmm. They also have, you know, most of the time a good distribution uh, through physical bookstores. But that's really what they're bringing to the table now. Readers don't care if your book was traditionally published or self published, all they care about is the outcome. You know, is the book good? What's it going to do for me? They never go, what's the latest, you know, Penguin Random House release? That's not how people (laughs) search for books. So the publishers aren't bringing that brand to the table. Um, And you're going to make way less. I don't have to tell you this, but you're going to make way less money when you go the traditional route per copy. Uh, My first book, you know, went to number one on Amazon, sold thousands and thousands of copies in the first week. And I made, I think over the course of that first year, it was roughly about $86,000 in, you know, in my pocket from book sales. If I had had a traditional deal, that would have been less than $10,000. Hmm. So to me, a traditional book deal we're signing is them really giving you some sort of guarantee they're going to do some marketing behind you because most of the time the traditional deals are looking at you to market hmm. your book almost entirely. Um, and then I think they have to give you a good advance up front, Um But, you know, that's that's not going to be a given in many cases. So (laughs) I think that's why they're rare.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good point. Um, I unfortunately began uh, 2020 uh, before signing the book deal in May of that year with deciding that I was going to double down on public speaking and in-person workshops.
0: And then COVID.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And COVID changed that. So, in my case, a book deal came at just the right time for a couple of reasons. One is that advance made up for some lost mm-hmm. income, uh, and second, I didn't have anything else to do. So, why not write? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, so those those, those two things were, were timed uh, not to make a light of COVID, obviously, but uh, those two yeah. two things uh, were timed pretty well. But having said that, to your point, um, you know, I've visited a, a, a Books a Million recently. I've visited a Barnes and Noble recently, two different states. Um, i 've visited a target recently i don 't see read to lead in any of those places <laughs> so so i 'm asking my publisher uh, hey w- what 's going on with that Because you know that to me for i 'm just being you know transparent here. the process for me up to this point has not felt real, e- even when I got the uh, initial real deal copies in the mail. I-, I had my wife do a Facebook live of me opening them up, and it was just underwhelming i don 't know if you 've experienced that as, as an author. But I thought, you know what? The thing's gonna—the thing that's gonna do it for me is it's really gonna sink in. Is when I walk into a bookstore and I see it there on, on the shelf, yeah. and I've got three strikes at, at attempting to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. Anyway, I think that I think that makes your point as much as much as anything. Uh, talk about this idea of a hook for your book. What does that do for us? And and how can we be sure that ours is effective enough?
0: Yeah. So the hook is a combination of knowing your reader really well knowing what you bring to the table that makes you unique for that reader, and then what's really the outcome of the outcome um, for your Mm -hmm. book. And so what I mean by the outcome of the outcome is a lot of people stop at the first outcome. So they'll say uh, uh, leader. I I often pick on leadership books because it's pretty easy to be generic and not have any of my clients feel like I'm picking on their book. (laughs) (laughs) So a leadership book is not enough, right? There's a bazillion leadership books out there. If I want to learn leadership, I'm probably going to go to the most famous person I can think of or the most famous CEO that's written a book. But if you want somebody to pick up your book when you're an unknown name, you need to go what's the outcome of them learning your particular style and approach of leadership, Um, So what I mean by that is, what's going to change in their life when they become a better leader? Are they now going to have more influence to get get what they want? Are they going to make more money? Are they going to get promotions? Are they going to be able to run the company they've always wanted to run? You have to dive deeper, and it has to be specific to that category of reader, not a demographic, but a certain type of person that has a certain type of problem and a certain type of dream. And that's the hook. That's the backbone of your book. Nothing needs to be in there that doesn't contribute to the hook. And you know, really, you have to make sure the book flows so that when somebody closes the pages on the book, they're set up to achieve that outcome of the outcome.
1: Mm, I love this idea, too, related to that, morbid though it may sound, of the, of the clarity you get when you think about sharing with the world one last message. Talk about this exercise in the book you suggest people walk through, this, this idea related to your final message and, and, and why that's important.
0: Yeah, and I can't take credit for this. This is this is a friend of mine, Philip McKernan, and he has a book out called One Last Talk that kind of mm. walks you through this. But uh having done one, so you know, I was invited onto his stage to give my one last talk. I know the power of thinking, okay, if this is the last message you get to put out into the world, what do you want to make sure people know?
1: Mm.
0: And and when you think that way, I find that you can distill your life down to usually a a fairly pivotal moment. Usually it's childhood, but there's usually a fairly pivotal moment that kind of speaks to who you are today and what lesson you want to share with the world. And, And that whole concept of this is the last time you get to speak or this is the last time you get to write it kind of forces you to to clear the way to see that important message that you want to share.
1: Yeah, it's it's finding or turning those negative experiences into into a book basically, right? I mean, that's a lot of it is that, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, I think every time there's a really big challenge in my life, I always think this is going to be a great chapter in a book. Um, you know, it's it's truly because I think there's no lessons in things going well. Huh. One of the only books that we couldn't, you know, at Book Lunchers that we couldn't turn into a book, like, it was a book, but we weren't going to publish it. And it was one of the few times I had to sit down with somebody and go, look, like, this is, this is not this is not good, hmm. was somebody who had a perfect life. He or at least he had presented the perception of a perfect life. I don't believe anybody actually has a perfect life. So I think he was hiding whatever skeletons were in his closet, but maybe he's that rare beast that really has had a perfect life. And, you know, he married his high school sweetheart. He went to work in his family's business and and he made a lot of money. He invested in real estate at the right time. And so he was, you know, a young person who had had a wonderfully blessed life, but that's not a book. <laughs> like, where- Where's the lesson in that? What are people going to relate to in that situation? So negative or challenging stuff, as I prefer to kind of view everything, is really the opportunity for growth, is the great lessons, and those are the chapters Mm -hmm. that make phenomenal books.
1: Well, what what are some of the questions we can ask ourselves when it comes to understanding what we have to offer that is of unique value to others?
0: Oh, you're, you're pulling from my book. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, making me think about the pages in my book. Goodness gracious. Uh, I'm trying to, there, that is a chapter of my book. I remember, I remember what, what are those questions? So I know, I mean, for me, I always want to, I want to go back to my reader. So I'm always hey. taking everything back to the reader, whether those were the specific questions <laughs> in my book or yeah. not, I don't know, but really you want to understand who your reader is and what you're bringing to the table that can hmm. help them. And it's kind of that place of service, you know, kind of understanding how you're going to serve somebody, but digging into it. And, you know, I like to kind of look for common themes. Again, going through your life, you know, is there a common theme? Um, What makes you unique? What's kind of different? And my first book was really born out of this in that my first book was a real estate investing book. And One of the common themes I had was a lot of people at the time were talking about getting rich in real estate Mm. and they, or or they've been talking about getting rich in real estate. And I kept looking at it going, yeah, there's money to be made, but there's a lot of problems. And a lot of people were really focused on the most properties you can buy, the better. (laughs) And, you know, I had 30 properties and my life was miserable at times because Mm. of all the problems. Like it was like nothing would go wrong for three months. And then 10 properties would have major problems all at once. And it Mm. was a nightmare. So kind of looking at some of those themes in my life, and then I also like to look at where you contradict what most people accept as common advice. So for me, that was passive income, that real estate investing equals passive income. Mm. You know, to me, when I thought it was passive, I ended up with a property manager that robbed rent money from me um, because I wasn't watching the books enough. I had, you know, I had um, had lots of other situations, Mm. but it was really that mindset of thinking it was passive that let me kick back and let the property managers handle a lot of things. You know, I got charged for a roof that never actually got done but I wasn't going out to the property to inspect things Mm. after there was work done. So that was a common theme. And so finding that common theme and where I contradict kind of the common advice that's already in the industry, those are, you know, and then thinking about the problem that that solves, those are all things that will help you, you know, really find that hook and ultimately serve that reader.
1: By the way, you did a great job in answering that question, but for future reference, it's page 27. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I have so experienced that same struggle doing so many interviews for my book. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I remember writing about that. But what did I say? <laughs> exactly. What did I say? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, help us get past this idea. And I think so many people struggle with this, that we have to do X before we can can write a book that sort of do, have, then be sort of mindset.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, this was this was I mean, I had this too, I thought I had to do an MBA to to kind of have that six figure income to be successful. Um, you know, that's kind of the big example in my life. And the reality is that MBA was more of a setback for me kind of on the journey that I wanted to be on. I did not need that MBA. And if I had reversed it and kind of looked at who I wanted to be right? Focusing on who, who am I and who do I want to be and then change that to be be, do, have versus the, the have, do, be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is just a mindset shift. And I think a lot of people wait until their, their life story has a perfect bow on it before they write a book um, or even before they do a lot of things in their life. And, and you don't need to have that perfect bow on your life. You just have to be who you really are meant to be and when that happens, I think you can do the things you want to do and have the things that you really want to have.
1: That that really spoke to me that section of the book. You know, I've been asked for years, Jeff, when are you going to write a book? And for a long time, the reason I didn't do it sooner was because I thought I had to do more before I could justify writing one. Well, logic might suggest when it comes to writing a book, we might actually start with the content. Um, why do you say though that that's kind of backwards?
0: Well, I've seen a lot of books that are you know, decent books, um, and they were written by somebody who got inspired and wrote the book. And <laughs> uh, that, it creates a big problem because you haven't thought about marketing. And one of the things that traditional books happen naturally, and you'll know this having gone through the, the whole process, they're evaluating how you're going to sell your book before you even get that book deal. Mm. How is this book going to be sold? Who's going to be buying it? What's the audience? And they're figuring that out before you got that book deal. Most people who self-publish, they write the book and then figure out how to sell it. Mm. And that creates this big gap because there's almost always a lack of clarity around the reader and how this book is going to help them. And that makes marketing incredibly difficult. So I say start with the reader, figure out who they are, where you're going to find them, what kind of message you want to help them with. And that's like four or five steps before you even start writing.
1: Mm. As I was reading this in your book, I was constantly making comparisons to what I've written. You know, did I do this? Did I do that? Yeah. Um, and I feel like more often than not, the answer was, was yes, thankfully. But that's only because I've gone through similar type exercises as, as a radio personality, than as a podcaster was really thinking through that avatar question really seriously and was able to apply that to to writing a book. Uh, but I was so thankful as I read your book that, oh, I, yes, yes, I think I did that. I think I did this. Okay. So far, so good. <laughs> we're, 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 we're at, we're at a thousand. That's good. Well, what do you mean when you say that, um, and I've heard a couple of people say this recently, that your book is not a business card because that seems to be a pretty prevalent mindset these days when it comes to books.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this is an opinion in my, in my opinion. Mm. Um, And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that I feel like the mindset of this is a business card. It's just something I'm going to hand out really diminishes the value of a book. Mm. And and I have tremendous respect for books. Like it is one of those things where I think they're life changing. I go to them when I have problems. I go to them when I'm, I want to be inspired. I go, (laughs) you know, And so for me to have books be thought of as just a business card, something I'm just going to hand out and that gives me credibility just because I've handed it out, it makes me deeply sad because Mm. I think books are something where people distill their best ideas and they put their heart and soul into it. So that's part of it. The other thing is anybody can have a business card, but like not anybody is going to do the work you need to do in order to produce a great book. Mm. Um, And to me, a book is as good or better than a degree. So a lot of people, you know, if you look around a typical industry, everybody has the same educational credentials, but there's only a small percentage of those people who typically have written a book. Mm -hmm. And so that book is so much better than a business card if you've done it well, because it is now making you the expert on that specific subject that you've written about, which puts you above the educational credentials of all your colleagues.
1: Mm -hmm. I want to get tactical here for a second. Talk about the importance of chapter titles. This is another thing. As I read it in your book, I was going back to my book and going, okay, how did, how did I do? How did we do? In what ways do, do chapter titles help you sell books and how might they be utilized after your book is, is published, those chapter titles?
0: Yeah, this is my favorite thing uh, mm. because this is something I, I didn't even realize this. It, it really popped out out at me because in my media interviews for my first book, I saw the journalists and the reporters, they were like opening up my book and going to the table of contents because they didn't have time to prepare. (laughs) And they were going, oh yeah, you have this really great chapter on where are the ladies in real estate? Can you tell me about that? Right. And it was just straight from the table of contents. And you know, the producer probably did the same thing when they decided to book me onto the show. So that was one thing Mm -hmm. that was kind of when I started to pay attention to this. And on my second book, I got speaking engagements solely from one of the chapter titles, which was called You Are Who Google Says You Are. Mm. Uh, And and so I paid really close attention to this for our clients. And we've seen the same thing. We've seen people get booked to do a talk for their chapter titles. We've seen them get booked onto media because somebody sees that chapter title and goes, ooh. And the other thing is on Look Inside on Amazon, once once you've got their attention with your cover and your title, you've got enough reviews that makes them want to click. When you click that look inside feature, one of the very first pages they go to is that table of contents. Mm. And if you think of your own buying habits, you know, I know for me, having read probably 70 or 80 real estate books, if I see how do you calculate cash flow, what makes a good area, you know, if I see that in a chapter title, I'm like, oh, I've read this before, mm. right? Even if I've never read that book, I feel like I've read this before. So your chapter titles have to create curiosity and sell a benefit and really show value. And if you can do that, all three in a chapter title, you've you've really got a winning chapter title. But, you know, at a minimum, they each need to do one of those.
1: Mm. Well, I've skipped around a bit. Uh, I want to give you a chance to, before I go to some non-book related questions, to share anything else from the book you want to make sure we know about that I haven't asked about or covered so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think is, we've kind of touched on it, but I want to make sure people get this, is a lot of people, especially self-publishing authors, they think they just get their book on Amazon and then it's going to sell. And I mean, that's never been the case, but it's even less so now. Amazon is a robust algorithm machine, and you don't want to game the system and get a fast win with a bestseller, You know, trying to you know, get 20 people to buy your book all at the same time just to get that bestseller flag because they're looking for consistent conversions. Mm. And, you know, whether you want to sell only on Amazon or go wide, you know, I'm a big fan of spreading out your, your book so that you're never dependent on one beast, sure. <laughs> which is what Amazon is. But, but it really having a solid marketing plan is so important. And thinking about that from the beginning, so that when your book is on Amazon, you're doing a lot of things consistently to sell your book, um, so that Amazon knows your book will sell when they put it in front of the right people, and they will mm. help you sell your book. But it's an algorithm.
1: Yeah. Uh, going back to what I was saying before with regard to the uh, uh, traditional booksellers, especially, you know, when I think about my book and it's a book that encourages people to read more, I'm like, if I'm a bookstore owner, I'm, I'm, I'm that's on an end cap. That's <laughs> read to lead is like, Hey, right here, read this. Cause then you want to read more books, but that's just me anyway.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I would love to tag in on that. Cause to me, if I was going to be pitching to a bookstore on that, I would be saying, okay, here is the read to lead book feature this. And then here's 10 of the books that are like the next things you'd want to read after this and create a huge display over that. Um, Because bookstores love, if you're ever, for anybody pitching their book into a bookstore, they love to have kind of a done-for-you mindset of what their display is going to look like.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and every chapter in our book, uh, at the end of the chapter, there's two or three books uh, we suggest where you can go deeper on that particular topic. Yeah. Well, speaking of books and reading, uh, I want to ask you, I know books have have played a pivotal role and impacted you greatly over the years. Sort of a two-pronged question. Um, How would you say the habit of reading with intention and with consistency has impacted you? and then maybe a book or two that has had a particular impact on you in and your career in life.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, especially in the early days when I was, I quit my job in 2008 uh, to go full time in real estate. So, uh, you know, anybody who knows the history (laughs) knows 2008 was a pretty crazy year to go full time into real estate. Mm. So it was a dark time. You know, I was I had to move back in with my parents so that I could put whatever money I was making back into the businesses that I was building. Um, And I was newly I was newly married. So me and my new husband moved back in with my parents. Exactly what you want to do. But I read every morning for 15 to 30 minutes, um, because that set my day, you know, it set my mindset, right, even mm-hmm. though things were challenging, I reading books, first thing in the morning, just gave my brain good food. So mm-hmm. it was vital. And whenever I find myself really starting to feel dark and down and you know, like things are a struggle, I, I bring that practice back and I read for 15 to 30 minutes. It's tough for me these days. I have a four-year-old. So if I want to spend 15 to 30 minutes reading in peace, I have to get up really obscenely early. <laughs> but but I do find that that practice really, really helps ground me and, and give me a good mindset. Um, mm. And for me, the pivotal book that I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, you know, I read it in 2001 and, and it got me investing in real estate, which Led me to all the great things that I am doing and have done, um, and all the challenges that have made great chapters in the books that I have written are all as a result of that book, really just putting my mindset to I need to get my money working for me. And real estate for me was that answer to get my money working for me.
1: What is ahead for you and your team? Like, what's next that's got you excited that you're able to talk about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be writing a second book soon on marketing because I Mm. found that this book took so much in order to just explain how to write a book set up for marketing that there wasn't enough to then have (laughs) enough space or it was going to be a gigantic almanac. Mm. So the next book will be on, you know, kind of planning your launches, different launch strategies, and then marketing, you know. for for a long, long time after your book comes out, all the strategies and approaches. So that's book two. But with book launchers, I mean, we're really, we're constantly evolving how we serve our clients and looking at how we can support that author to get their book into readers' hands and write a great book that will go there. So we're just continuing to refine and find new opportunities. And that's really fun for us because we're helping the author, but we're also helping all the people out there that get the author's message and get impacted by those books. So it's, it's incredibly rewarding.
1: Booklaunchers.com and Booklaunchers TV on YouTube. Uh, the book is called Self-Publish and Succeed: The No Boring Book's Way to Write a nonfiction book that sells. Her name is Julie Broad or as she's affectionately known, Julie the Book Broad. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for being a part of the Rely podcast. Excited to have had you here and for all that you shared today. really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks to Julie. There are several resources you can take advantage of. You can find all that, plus the other links and resources we talked about, like the book she recommended and more, at the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 396 for episode 396. After publishing my recent book, I've received invitations to speak from leaders at companies like LinkedIn, Disney, the Virginia Council of CEOs, and more. I'm still the same guy who's been hosting this podcast all these years, interviewing the same incredibly smart people. I just happen to now also be an author. In other words, there's a lot of truth to what Julie has shared with us today. Quick programming note, we're going to round out November with authors Joe Sanock meredith bell and honore quarter and then we kick off december with episode 400 of the read to lead podcast where i'll be welcoming back one of my favorite all-time guests and a person who will be making their fourth appearance on the read to lead podcast and finally don't forget to support our sponsor Scriptco at scriptco.com where they put the power of wholesale medicine and home delivery of your generic medications into your hands use Read25 to save $25 on your membership. That's scriptco.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. As always, remember, leaders read and readers lead.